and Talk. Hello and welcome to Grow Up and Talk. This is Alex and I'm a pastor at Messiah Lutheran Church. We believe that eternities are changed when Jesus followers grow up in their faith. And one of the best ways we can do this is reading God's word, even the book of First Chronicles, and talking about it. So we're using a three-year Bible reading plan at Messiah, and I have one of my friends here today to help me talk about God's word, and that is Nick Gonzalez. Nick, thanks for coming on the show. Tell us about yourself. Thanks for having me, Alex. Uh, excited uh, just to be here with you to talk about God's Word. Uh, my name is Nicholas Gonzalez, and I am the associate pastor at the Lutheran Church of St. Andrew in Silver Spring, Maryland. Uh, I was a classmate of Alex at seminary, and so we graduated together, and uh, this is my first call as well. And I'm thankful to be part of the show today. Awesome. All right, today we are going to cover the readings in our three-year reading plan that we're using at Messiah. Uh, that goes from October 24th through the 30th. Now, we are focusing only on the First Chronicles part, so we're doing four chapters of First Chronicles, chapters 22 through 25, and we'll see what we can make of it, or we'll see what God makes of it for us. So let's do a quick summary of what's going on here. Basically, in chapter 22, David starts preparing uh, for the building of the temple. He realizes he's, it's been revealed to him by God that he is not going to be the one to build the temple because he is a man of war and he has killed too many people and God wants a man of peace uh, to build his temple, to build a temple that is no longer uh, movable like the tabernacle, but a permanent structure that is magnificent beyond anything else in the land beyond anything else the other nations have built, and he has chosen Solomon, which his name literally means peace, uh, to build that temple. But David uh, does a good thing and starts preparing for the building of the temple and starts gathering all the materials, which is a lot of materials, a lot of gold, a lot of silver, and those kinds of things. So, to prepare for the temple itself, he starts organizing the Levites um, who, would, who will serve in the temple, um, who will serve God's people. And he also organized the priests um, who are going to specifically uh, en engage in like the sacrifices and, and all those things um, in the house of worship. And then the musicians in chapter 25, that's something that we don't see very often. Um, but we know that David was uh, like this amazing harp player. He was, you know, back then they probably didn't have guitar hero, but they probably had harp hero, and David probably invented that. Um, so, wow, Nick doesn't think that's funny, but I hope you <laughs> listeners do. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. You know, I, I, Oh, Pastor Alex. <laughs> see, that's what I was looking for. All right, in chapter 25, we end our section today with the organization of the musicians. So basically, David gathers materials to build the temple. He says, Solomon, you're the guy. And he organizes people to get ready to help with all the stuff. That is our reading section for today. Nick, when you read this, what stood out to you? Yeah, Alex, you know, uh, one of the first lines that stands out is actually um, in, in chapter 22, just verse 2, um, when David, uh, it says, David commanded to gather together the resident aliens who were in the land of Israel. Um, and that phrase, you know, the resident aliens made me think about that book we read in seminary yes. um, in our fourth year. And What's the title uh, of the book again? 
the book is actually called Resident Aliens. Oh. Um, and then the rest of it, you know, the, the subtext of the title is a provocative Christian assessment of culture and ministry for people who know something is wrong. But the concept, of course, is as Christians, uh, sometimes we feel like aliens in the world because, uh, as Jesus says, we are not uh, we are in the world, but we are not meant to be of the world. Right. And so uh, I saw this kind of unique connection just between that phrase and that word there um, and this reality of like even here. um David refers to people that he is gathering to build God's temple as resident aliens. And so it was just like this unique phrase um, that I'm not sure pops up anywhere else in Scripture. Um, you know, I, I could be wrong, but yeah. I, I'm I'm thinking this might be one of the only unique places for that. Um, and it's just kind of cool to think uh, it, when we talk about ourselves as Christians, as resident aliens, that's such almost a far off thought. And yet it's this reality that um, that's how God sees us as people who are in the world, but we're meant to be of his world living in his kingdom. Um, and so how do we bring the kingdom here on earth? Right. And we talk about that in the Lord's prayer. Um, you know, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kind of all of this uh, kingdom theology is in this one little phrase. I just felt like there's so much to be said here just about that one thing. And I mean, we're not even into the building of anything yet. You know, we're just David gathering the people. Um, and so that was like a unique thing that, uh, that well, at least one of the things that stood out to me. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. I think uh, what really stood out to me um, was that the boldness and humility even of David to obey God and mm-hmm. say, you know what? Uh, God told me I'm. I it was in my heart. I really wanted to build this this temple. I I kind of. I'm sure he is thinking. I thought I was going to be the one. I thought I was going to get to do this, and this would have been an amazing thing to be able to do. Um, but he doesn't do. He doesn't take that attitude of like, oh well, you know, forget this. You know, instead he obeys the word of God. He says, "All right, Solomon's going to be the one, so I want to set him up for success in obeying the commands of God." And um, one thing that we might get into a little bit later. I, I might want to hold this thought. It's a theology of place is kind of thinking about, you know, how they're building this temple and how it's supposed to be more magnificent than all the other temples in the land. Um, and it's just, you know, he's collecting all of this gold. Actually, um, the, the note in my Bible, which is not a study Bible that I typically uh, work out of, um, but it has a small little note about the talents. So he said that David collected 100,000 talents of gold. It says Mm -hmm. here that a talent was about 75 pounds in weight. So I'm assuming that it's, you know, talking about what we understand to be a pound, because this is an English Bible, so that means David collected 7.5 million pounds (laughs) of gold. And that's not including all the silver a million talents of silver, so 75 million pounds of silver, 7.5 million pounds of gold. So all this uh, just really rare and precious um, material, and he's collecting um, the material. And not only that, but he's gathering the craftsmen. This is what was, I like this phrase where he says in verse 19 of 22, Arise and work, the Lord be with you. Like, go and get to work. And in a way, it's like David passing on this work to the next generation. He says, I'm going to set you up for success. And he could have just said, 
no, forget this. But he, he, he has an attitude of humility, an attitude of repentance, an attitude and a posture of obedience to God and God's ordering of things. He thought he was going to be the guy. He's not the guy. So instead, he sets the guy, Solomon, up for the task that he needs to do. So that's what stood out to me is David's attitude. But also, um, let's talk maybe maybe now, maybe later, I don't know what you want to do, um, a theology of place of like, you know, why was it important that they built this temple? Uh, you know, because today we have uh, buildings that we worship in and places that we worship in. Uh, does that matter? Um, so Yeah, you know, I... I think it's I think it's interesting because uh, and obviously at seminary we talk about all the different ways and places that you can worship and be in worship with God and that God's presence can fill any place right and I think that's been so uh, unique for many of us uh, throughout this time of the pandemic over the past few months where um, you know in, in a literal in a very literal way God has come into the homes of people around the world. Um, Maybe some for the first time, maybe some for the first time in a long time. Uh, maybe some have now found, you know, their place of worship is home in order to keep safe or, or for whatever the reason might be. But this it speaks to this reality that God is absolutely present in our world. And because of media, uh, he comes to us in, in so many different ways now. But at the same time, uh, I, I think what's unique about this is it, it kind of reminds me that um, the way that we even just hear and kind of interact with God is in his word first and foremost. And so, I mean, as you said at the beginning of the podcast, like we do this because this is how we grow is reading his word. And so God is in the word first and it's from the word that then like these actions and all this movement happens. Um, But at the same time, I mean, I think especially in ancient Israel, as they're building this temple, you know, um, this is something that's often attributed to Solomon. We know about Solomon's temple, but Mm. we see how God uses David, um, who has been, you know, at the highs and highs of God and at the lowest of lows, kind of in in terms of his relationship with God. Um, And yet God still uses him to build this holy house. I mean, you know. We talk about that in worship, that this is the holy house where God dwells. And for the people of Israel, I mean, this was such a specific thing for them because it wasn't that God wasn't with them anywhere else, but it was that in this place, we all come together and we have that community and we Mm. have this place where we know that God is with us. Um, And this is where he's promised to dwell, you know, and uh, David proclaims that. But then at the same time, David's able to say, kind of like you pointed out, um, God, uh, you know, originally I thought this might be for me, but now it's for Solomon. And so yeah. here's what I'm going to do to establish this place. Yeah. Um, and and so I think it speaks to, A, the importance of having the local church um, and being able to be in a building specifically where we gather and meet. Um, and of course, at the same time, like you said, this theology of place, uh, that does not mean God doesn't go with us wherever we go or that when we're meeting in other places, yeah. God isn't with us there also. Like it's such a unique and specific thing for perhaps worship. But at the same time, as we've all experienced over the past few months, God comes into our lives and our homes because he always meets us where we are, um, even as we worship him. And that's just such a cool thing. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for going into that a little bit. Also, this kind of just a real weird side note is um you know 
the people of Israel have have been kind of nomadic for a long time. They there hasn't been a the the temple has not you know a, a permanent you know magnificent temple has not truly been built yet. Um, they've been using the tabernacle and tents for a long, long time for the as long as any of them can you know even probably recount their history, you know because the tabernacle was the first uh, place of worship. Uh, that was dedicated uh, for God's people. Before then, it was there weren't there there might have been a tent. Maybe they, you know, pitched a tent somewhere. I don't know what Abraham did. Uh, he built altars um, out of stones and rocks and did stuff like that. But uh, that's the first rule in church planting. They were kind of like church planters. Is uh, one of the one of the main rules in church planting is that you build last because building is very expensive. And we can see the expense of this building right here. So if you are ever planning on planting a church, anyone out there who's listening, build your building last. There you <laughs> go. All right. So um, what else? Oh, yes. The thing that really uh, that that was um, striking to me as well was that this was a house dedicated to rest. I think that's the phrasing that's used. Um, and that it was interesting that David was not chosen because he was a man of war, because God said, you have done too much killing. And I, I think that even confused me a little bit, because it's like, well, didn't God tell David to do some of the killing? Um, so uh, I don't know how to answer that exactly. But at the same time, you know, Solomon, when he built the temple, was was very innocent of bloodshed. He was, his name literally meant peace. And the thing we think about Solomon is kind of um, his life really goes full circle. He starts off in a very pure and innocent way, obeying the commands of God, following in his father's footsteps, being set up for success. And actually, I don't really know the exact uh, timing of when he finally got the temple built, um, but his life kind of starts off on the right track, then he just goes way, way off. And, and David did too. A lot of times he was a roller coaster guy, like you mentioned. But then at the end of his life, uh, Solomon writes Ecclesiastes, um, or, or even Song of, uh, I don't know when he wrote Song of Solomon, but he wrote Ecclesiastes, and it's kind of like his reflection back on his life. It's like, oh, you know, obey the commands of God. This is the end of the matter. Obey the Lord and, and do what is good, you know. But um, it's interesting to me that even though God uh, was with David, um, it says in Chronicles even and in Second Samuel, which parallels, or in the, the Samuels, which parallel Chronicles, that the Lord gave David victory wherever he went. So God was with David. God told David to go and do some of this killing, some of this stuff. Uh, to enact his justice. But it's interesting that even though God was involved in that, in David's warfare, God is still a God who desires peace. You know, we've been talking a lot like, lately about the two realms um, in our mm. congregation. Um, in the left-hand realm, the civil realm, meaning more than just government, but everything in the world uh, that we see, uh, that we experience on a human level kind of, um, we are always striving for justice and striving for peace, but it's never really fully achieved. Yeah. And yet when we go to the place where God is present, 
that's the right-hand realm where we receive peace right away in the moment, um, the peace of God. And so he chooses someone who embodies that on a human level at the moment. Uh, Solomon, in his innocence and his young age, is a peaceful person, and um, his life is not characterized by bloodshed, but characterized by peace. So on a human level, I think that also communicates to people that this is a place of peace. There may not be peace, and, and he also, even in the the left-hand realm, the civil realm, he, um, he uh, causes actual peace um, to happen. So the enemies of Israel, uh, there, there's no more warfare so that Solomon and the, the people of God have time to build this temple, this place of rest. So even during the times of war and the kings that come after Solomon, this temple will be a place of rest and a place where you can find complete peace given by God, even though when you look around you, it won't look like that. Um, and I think that's exactly what we still experience today, even though in the world around us, peace and justice will never be fully realized. We're always trying to work and strive toward that. When we go into the place of God, when we gather with God's people, when he's present in our lives, when we receive his word, uh, we do receive, uh, his total peace and grace and mercy, um, in that moment when it's spoken to us. Yeah. You know, I think. Uh, man, you, you hit on so many things there. And, and one of the things that stands out to me is like um, the full circle of Solomon's life, the full circle of even David's life. You know, uh, mm. if you just take this story and you rip it out of the context, you know, it, it's God telling David, well, you have shed a lot of blood. You've had a lot of war. And so your son is going to be the one to to um, uh, your son is going to be the one to, uh, you know, build this temple and he will be named Solomon. But like it cuts out the thing that I think most people know about David, of course, is the story of David and Bathsheba. And, and, and it's almost like that is again, I mean, it's not mentioned, but it's just this reality of like, wow, God is constantly working through people who are going through, I mean, just broken situations and sinful situations. And like Solomon, again, the same thing, you know, as you describe Solomon's cycle, I kind of thought, okay, you can pretty much replace anybody's name here mm. because for whatever yeah. reason, and, and part of, I mean, part of it is, right, our broken and sinful nature, but we generally speaking have this almost purity, so to speak, and uh, even that's broken because we're sinful by right. nature and unclean. But at the same time, like there's this sense of uh, purity before you're learning about things going on in the world, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're immersed in things in the world, and then, of course, it feels like sin and temptation overwhelm in the world. And you fall into it and then, you you know, you, you realize, oh, my gosh, I shouldn't have done that. Um, and we're constantly reflecting on the mistakes that we've made and at the same time uh, experiencing this grace of God that while our world isn't perfect, while we, of course, will never be perfect on this side of eternity in the left-hand kingdom, that God's grace is still perfect, that his yeah. mercy and his forgiveness are still perfect right now. And, I mean, there there's just so much promise uh, just embodied by this family and i mean you know these are the ancestors of of jesus right like uh it's such a it's such a strange thing to say because i mean you know most of us can probably trace our heritage back to (laughs) a great grandfather or something like that but we don't know the stories we don't know the life Mm, they lived unless i mean they did something you know pretty incredible Right. right but 
Um, All like I know here, is that my ancestors moved from Canada to Vermont. Right. Yeah, exactly. I know that my grandparents moved from, you know, <laughs> Spain to Puerto Rico and to Ooh, New York. Like, nice. okay, so uh, I get that. But like for us as readers, this is like you are looking and hearing and reading about a long lost relative of Jesus when you read about hmm. some of these people who have some of the most broken stories. And like we compare it to our world today and it's just like, man, the savior of the world came from this family. And it just shows that constant reminder of God's grace. And kind of like you said, this idea of, of hope, even in the midst of what's going on in these stories, um, but God is going to use his people. Um, and he's constantly going to do that, whether we understand it or not, you know, at this point in David's life, you can kind of get the, get the sense that obviously he's been through kind of, uh, hell and back, so to speak, in the context of what he's done and how his life has been, but especially in the context of that war, you know, framing like, okay, yeah, we get that. And so God says, okay, but I'm going to use someone else. And it almost feels like instead of David's response being, why not me, Lord? You know, like, yeah. uh, come on. Almost like I, I juxtaposed it to Saul in my mind when, you mm, know, Saul yeah. says, but Lord, I was just trying to please you more. <laughs> David's like, all right, yeah, cool. Let's work. You know, we'll do this for my son. And I'm going to lay the foundation. Yeah. Um, and like just, you know, this is one of those moments where it's like, okay, I see David's, we see David's humility here. Yeah. But we know what David had to go through. And it's kind of like uh, when you think about Solomon's Ecclesiastes letter, uh, I think about it and I think, man, if only we read Ecclesiastes and instead of saying, oh, man, you know, I wish I would have done that the first time uh, or the second time. It's like, well, why don't we just start doing that? <laughs> yeah. And instead of yeah. trying to number up the times or read these stories and say, oh, well, they were bad. So, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, well, they're actually just warning us over and over again about what we yep. shouldn't do because that's not how we do it. And at the same time, the again, the reminder of like, you're going to mess up and God's going to forgive you, but you can force yourself away from that. You can, you know, walk away from temptation and things like that. And, and you don't have to do the same things or commit the same sins. Um, and of course, we all know that that's not an easy thing to do. But I think it's just such a cool reminder of how God works through his people to do, I mean, literally incredible things, right? You know, the 7.5 million pounds of, I mean, like that is an that's something that we might never ever actually see in our lifetime in terms right. of one yeah. thing, you know, 7 million, 7.5 million right. pounds worth yeah, of something. Yeah. Uh, we can't even, I mean, I don't know, maybe some people can, I can't even conceptualize the amount of stuff that would be, um, <laughs> but it speaks to the greatness of like what God was doing yeah. uh, and how great this temple was going to be, you know, the, yeah. the, the place of the Lord. Um, yeah. Thank you for, touching on uh some of the great hope that we find in this uh, in these passages here uh something else i wanted to point out before we go on our break too is um just chapter 25 i i'm a musical guy i mm. love singing i love playing the guitar um i only rehearse like the day before or the day of so i never get any better at guitar but i enjoy it um and i enjoy m music quite a bit um, it's interesting that, first of all, I want to point out that they used the contemporary instruments of the day. All right? <laughs> I just want to point that out, okay? Um, that's, that's my little spiel there. Okay. All right. But the, the thing that honestly, in all seriousness, gives me a lot of hope and a lot of inspiration and passion and drive and motivation is 
chapter 25, verse 7, where it says, He gathered the musicians, and they were skillful. Uh, they were skillful and they were masterful at what they did. And it also points, it also relates a little bit to like, you know, the people that David is gathering, he's gathering the best material. He, we're going to, we're, God told us we got to build this, this temple. By the way, I, it's also important to point out that God told them to build this building. So mm. that doesn't mean that we should always just build a building, but this is different. God told them to build this building. So that's important to keep in mind. But they said, God told us to build this building. It's going to be the best, most magnificent thing we can ever, ever possibly imagine. It's going to be more magnificent than all the other buildings in the land. And that's not a competition thing. That's just saying this, everything we do needs to reflect the excellency and creativity and innovation of our God who is the creator God, the greatest creator and the most creative and innovative uh, being in the world. He's God. Um, and our, our music, our building, our architecture, our skills, the way we carry out our task, the way we carry out the task that um, we thought we were going to do, and then we get a new role that seems lesser, kind of like David, and just having a humble attitude, the way we do that, do everything with excellency and honor God with that excellency. And, and, and it's not like we just, you know, you know, they, they didn't just choose like some people and say, all right, go learn the trumpet, go learn the harp, go learn the lyre. They had this family it was probably, you know, think of a musical family that, you know, they got this family together and he said, all right, you got lots of kids good for you. And they know how to play music and they're really good at it. And they, they put a lot of work into it as well uh, because their lives were dedicated to the excellency of music and, and, and God's place of worship. And so that's what really inspires me is that when we think about it, Christians should be the most creative, excellent, best party throwers, best builders, uh, most inspirational people on the planet. Now, we live in a broken and fallen world, so that doesn't always happen. But think about that, is that shouldn't we be reflecting the Creator in everything that we do, including uh, the artistic and creative endeavors that, we, that we're able to do, including the things that seem mundane? Um, I should be the, the most excellent diaper changer I can be. For my son, I should be the most excellent dishwasher I can absolutely be. And the most excellent, you know, that goes into the doctrine of vocation now. But anyways, I got on my soapbox a little bit. But I'm just saying the value of excellency is very prevalent in um, God's word, especially this section. And to me, that gives that gives great hope. It, it, it points us to that future glory of what we're going to experience in paradise and God calls us to point to that future glory in everything that we do, no matter how small it may seem from a human perspective. So, mm. all right, I'm down from my soapbox and we're going to take <laughs> a break. We'll be right back.
Hey, welcome back from our break after I had a little bit of a soapbox outburst there. Thank you for bearing with me. <laughs> but Nick, I know you have an answer to our last question, which is an application question. We talked a lot about ways that this applies to our lives today. But what's one other way that you just see this having overall importance? Yeah, you know, I think in terms of the larger Christian church and just the church at large, um, the reason this is important, you know, it kind of made me think about like seminary and the call process. And now that we're at churches, you know, what it looks like to uh, organize like a staff or a group of people. And I think what it does for me is it kind of points out that uh, God has always intended the church to be a place where it's not just one person. And of yeah. course, um, you know, you experience this right as a pastor and um, we experience this in our own ways, depending on how big our team is or who works alongside right. us. But there is this reality that like just ministry in and of itself is meant to be done in the context of uh, other people who are lifting you up and, and supporting you. But I mean, you see it because uh, I think the thing that was kind of confusing, but just can get confusing is like in, in 23 and 24 and 25, we're getting all these different genealogies. <laughs> I mean, these yes. people that we might... I mean, there are people here that you will never hear their name ever again, except for the fact that they're somehow, you know, related to a priest or part of the Levites or musicians. I mean, or at the resurrection when their names are read in the book of life and we're like, all right. Yeah. Hey, man, I got some paradise to enjoy. Can you hurry up? Exactly. (laughs) You're like, come on, buddy. Like, I mean, when you put it in that context, these aren't even all the names. Right. And so, yeah, uh, at the same time, like, I think it was just a helpful reminder that, um, God just wants us to, in ministry, in his church, in his place of worship, God wants us to have that communal aspect and to be able to lift one another up and to support each other, whether, you know, uh, you're you're in a sole pastorate or you're on a in a, uh, in a team ministry setting, like regardless of the situation, mm. uh, God's work in the church, which I think all of us are held accountable for, is not meant to be done alone, right? Like, right. Um, it's not like David organizes the priests and then says, priests go and work um like as you pointed out he's got the levites and the priests and the musicians all of these people help to make this house of worship the place that it is um and so while you know by god's grace there are pastors who certainly fulfill the role of pastor and worship leader musician kind of as you know you were mentioning yourself too um at the same time like there's beauty in the fact when you have other people who are able to kind of walk alongside you in that and i think Um, I think that also is like a a sign of hope, like just a sign of Mm. the fact that God wants his church to be full of people who are all working together for the same mission, even if it's like something as simple as a building project. You know, I mean, that's what this is. Uh, This is the Bible's version of a building project. (laughs) No one likes those late night meetings. No one likes to meet every, you know, Tuesday night at eight o'clock for four hours. But I mean, think about what they were doing here. You know, we're not building 7.5 million anything uh and yet like here this is what god's people were doing so um i think it's also a humble reminder of like think about what it took for them to build the temple and how much less it might take us to you know add on to the building or make some renovations and things like that um that that you know as we pray about it as we think about it god's going to use us to constantly build and and grow his church and his temple but it happens like like as you said uh, according to his word and his will um, but yeah, that's, I, I think that's kind of the more even kind of poignant thing. And just a reminder that we can all kind of take away, like support yeah. one another in ministry and build each other up because, uh, God wants to use all of us in his church. 
Amen, brother. Preach it. Preach it. Preach it. That's my soapbox. <laughs> That's your soapbox. Nice. So I would say, uh, just to sum that up, is just, yeah, God's people should be the most uh, excellent collaborators on the planet. And um, I like that you mentioned it involves the community. That's what it's all about. Every, all hands on deck kind of thing. And um, David sets up a healthy system of community collaboration and organization for the glory of God and for the sake of God's people for the future generations. And so if we were healthy in the way we organize things, even though it is not always fun to talk about our budgets and our debts and our this and that or the late night meetings, like you said, it's important. And um, if we keep working at help collaborating and working together and um, establishing a healthy community, I think um, that's something that will stand. Uh, healthy communities built on the foundation of, uh, of God and his word. So, mm. cool. All right. Well, Nick, thanks for being on the show. Today we are, in every episode, not just today, we end with a random question. Um, so my random question for you is this, Nick. You've been given an elephant. You can't get rid of it. What would you do with it? I've been given an elephant. I can't get rid of it. Um, yes. You're not allowed to well, get rid of it. What would you do with it? I would probably, you know, I mean, uh, I would, A, maybe try to find a sanctuary where I can take it um, <laughs> because those exist. Um <laughs> Not like a church sanctuary, like an elephant sanctuary, to oh, be clear, because we've been okay. talking about uh, church sanctuaries. I know, right? I realized that after you laughed. I was like, <laughs> why is he laughing? Elephant sanctuaries are a real thing. Um, an elephant sanctuary, not a church sanctuary. Put it there. Um, at the same time, uh, my wife happens to love elephants. So, like, oh, maybe really? we'd go on some rides around the block or something like that. Nice. Um, and then, you know, eventually I would uh, try to get it back into the wild. Um, <laughs> but if none of those are options... Uh, I guess I would just have to find a place where I can, you know, take care of it and feed it and have some big open land to run around. Um, I kind of imagine it would be like being Aladdin. You know, I wouldn't mind sitting on top of an elephant and like, you know, having, waving to the crowd and the stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. Um, trust me. I, honestly, my wife would be very happy if we just had like an elephant that we could hang out with every once in yeah. a while. Um, awesome. Though dogs bring her more joy and they're easier to kind of corral. So that's probably what we'll go with. Cool. Well, an, a variety of options for you there. I think what I would do with the elephant that I could not get rid of is we have a, this field, and we're in the hill country of of Texas, and so you can really, depending on where you're at, you can you can get some really nice views of the whole hill country. So I think the elephant would be tall enough that, um, you know, you could kind of get like this really awesome view if you're on top of the elephant. If not. Then I would build a ring, like this, this like platform that the elephant could out in our field that the elephant could go up on and walk around in a circle, and I would charge a hundred dollars for every um, elephant ride, and I would use that to pay um, for stuff that we do at the church. Is that bad? Is is that a little little weird? I you know. <laughs> I don't know if it's the That's worst thing. Sketchy, but... I, I'm also realizing now that you made it clear that I can't get rid of it. So I can't actually take it to an elephant sanctuary. So let's disregard my first answer. Yeah. Um, but 
I think that if I did that, I would open up a church somewhere in the go. vicinity of a large plot of land and then always call it <laughs> and every weekend have the journey to Bethlehem and have the elephant be able to walk people from, you know, Bethlehem to whatever, but like give them the full experience, you know, like if the oh. poop's got to pick up some poop um, and maybe it would be, a, I'm not sure if it'd be a paid experience at first, Dude, but you know, may, you maybe to be there, free building materials, you know, people actually build houses out of like camel dung and like dried animal materials. Did you know that? Uh, like in I the did desert not know and that. stuff. Well, so yeah, I mean, can, so maybe can, I'm moving to Phoenix is what you're saying. Okay, all right. <laughs> It'd be a long journey yeah, walking an elephant to Phoenix. I but. just had another idea. You have a you have a church building that's big enough for the elephant. You train the elephant to, like, m- make sounds, like, on command. And so Woo! he would be... <laughs> He would be in your, in your worship band, but not only that, instead of the bells that call people to worship, like the church bells, you would just have like this platform that the elephant would stand up on and call people to worship at the t- at like eight o'clock. Oh! Yeah, there yeah. you go. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, the elephant I has called he... us to worship today. God's blessings, you know. Anyways. Um, that's some. That's certainly one way to do it. I'm not <laughs> sure how the neighbors would feel about that. Um, but I, I like it. I like where you're at. I yeah. also don't think you can control it. You're definitely making this more of a magical experience than it is realistic. And I love that. Uh, I'm, I'm here for it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, um, listeners, we hope you enjoyed this, uh, episode. Um, it, feel free to email us any of your questions or comments to grow up and talk podcast at gmail.com. And that's all for today. Nick, thank you again. Thanks, Alex. Peace.